Well, good morning. A few years ago, I was talking with a friend of mine, and I told him that I wanted to be doing a sermon series based on uh, the family and on marriage, and, and I wanted to use examples from the Bible of marriages and families and things like that. And his response was something to the effect, well, just who are you going to use? Uh, whose marriage is a biblical marriage, or whose family is a biblical family? And, and he went on to say that, you know, when I look at the Bible and I read the stories, the, the families were kind of messed up, kind of like today. And after he said that, I realized, yeah, you're kind of right about that. I mean, you think for a moment of the very first family in the Bible, they had two boys initially, Cain and Abel, and one killed the other. That's the, that's the first family on the planet, and there was murder in the home. Uh, you may think that things are not very good with your family, but hopefully you haven't had to face something like that. And then I think of the example of Abraham. There are some aspects of Abraham's relationship with Sarah that are worth learning from, but Abraham was a guy that gave away his wife twice. Just gave her away to some other guy. Some of you know the story, but Abraham and Sarah and their, all their animals and all were passing through a region where they were going to be going through other countries or these other tribal areas. And Abraham was afraid that some ruler would take his wife and kill him in the process because she was very beautiful. And so Abraham and Sarah talked about it and came up with a plan. If anyone asks you, you're my sister. And twice a guy took Sarah home. Now don't model your marriage after that for sure. God intervened in this situation, which is very encouraging for me to realize that God can intervene in these kinds of situations, but these are some of the early families. Think of the man Israel. You certainly do not want to model your marriage after Israel. He had four wives, and they couldn't get along with each other. On top of that, in terms of the family dynamics, Israel showed partiality to one of the boys, a boy named Joseph, the 11th born, and that boy almost lost his life because of the partiality because his siblings couldn't stand him. He plotted to kill him, and once again, God intervened to make sure that Joseph wasn't killed. Instead, he was sold into slavery. But these are some of the early families in the Bible, and these 12 sons of Israel are the patriarchs of the faith. And I've mentioned many times before that I'm convinced that these stories are true because they're so realistic. There's no attempt on the part of the writers to, to make the story sound better or to prop up the heroes or whatever. They're just broken people like we are. And I also love the stories for this reason. It points to the truth that the way we get right with God is not by being good or bad, but it has to do with whether we have faith. Because these 12 patriarchs, they had murder in their hearts. They were, in a sense, murderers, and yet... They knew God. Faith is the key. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And this is how we get with, right with God as well, by putting our trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' own family wasn't even perfect. On at least one, but maybe two occasions, they came to get Jesus and drag him back home because they thought he was crazy. Text indicates they did not believe him. They did not put their trust in him. And it probably would have been hard for Jesus' brothers. After all, Jesus was the good boy. He never did anything wrong. He was like the perfect child. Can you imagine being raised with that? I imagine he, 
I, I imagine his brothers persecuted him. We read in the, the New Testament, by the way, and some are surprised by this, but he did have brothers and sisters. But I'm guessing that growing up, they didn't get along real well. And so you kind of get the point. You get the picture that the, the biblical families and the marriages are not, are not the best. Now, thankfully, we have other places in the scripture that talk about how to do marriage. And so a couple weeks ago, I talked about well, that God's design for marriage. Ephesians chapter 5 about husbands and wives. And there are references that talk about raising children. And so we talked about that, how we need to invest in, in our children. And then last week, Arch talked about the fact that as our parents get older, we need to honor our parents always. But I think there are special opportunities as they age to take care of those ones who took care of us when we couldn't take care of ourselves. And this thing might be switched as we get later in life. But today I want to close the series by just talking about what do we do about problems in our families or extended families, the difficulties that we face, the struggles that we have. How, how do we work through those within our family? And we all face these. We all have struggles in our homes. I don't know what it is in your situation. For some of you, you can't get along with your spouse, perhaps. Uh, for some of you, you're struggling with an ex, you know, an ex-husband or an ex-wife. Maybe that's what you're dealing with here. For some of you, it's, you're dealing with rebellious children or stepchildren that won't listen and have gone off the path. Some of you are grandparents. You're raising your grandkids, which is not what you had in mind. Some of you are dealing with alcohol and drug abuse and these kinds of issues. All of our families have issues which is part of the reason I'm even encouraged by the stories in the Bible because it means we're not gonna be perfect. None of us will get it right. And I think I had this wrong when I was raising my kids when they were younger because I think I raised them to basically, you better not make any mistakes, you better get everything right. And it was undue pressure, it wasn't appropriate. But we're gonna have issues in our homes. The question is, what do we do about it? whether it's our home or extended family, how do we deal with some of these kind of conflicts in our families? And I want to focus on just one area in, in like 25 minutes. I can't address all the different issues that we're talking about, but there's one subject that kind of transcends a lot of the things we've touched on already, and that is our communication or our speech. Because I believe that a lot of the conflicts we face in our homes, in our marriages, in our extended families have to do with communication and speech, things that we didn't get right, things that we said that weren't good or helpful, and, and gaps suddenly came between us and the person we loved. James talks a lot about the trouble that our mouth can cause in terms of relationships. He was addressing a problem of conflict in the letter that he was writing to the believers and in James 1, 19 and 20, he said, my dearly loved brothers, understand this, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. One of the solutions to this conflict, he said, is to be quick to hear. Be slow to speak, slow to anger. I admit I violate this. I violated this this past week with my wife. She was sharing something with me and I figured I knew exactly where she was going with what she was gonna say and I, for some reason, could not stand to let her finish it. <laughs> I, I just knew this is what you're gonna say, I just knew. Now, sometimes, to be fair, I'm right. It is going in that direction. 
But if I were quick to hear, oftentimes there's something else to it. Something I didn't pick up. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. But because we have trouble doing this, then we have troubles in our relationships. A lot of the examples I gave earlier of families and marriages, communication was a big part of, of the issue there. Some of these examples here. Joseph, for example, we read about Joseph. His brothers could not speak a kind word to him. They couldn't even give him a greeting. Communication had completely broken down between Joseph and his brothers. When I think of Abraham, he lied with his speech. He lied about his wife. She's my sister. Caused all kinds of problems. The story of Cain. You know what the story of Cain is about? A guy that won't listen. You know, God talked with Cain about what you need to do to get things right so you can get back on the right course. He would not listen to God. And sometimes that's what our issue is. My main takeaway today is this, that words matter. They really matter. In fact, often our words will determine the very course of our lives. The very direction of our lives will be determined by something we say or sometimes something we don't say. And James talked about this as well. He talked about the fact that, the, you know, the tongue in terms of the um, parts of the body is really tiny compared to the, some of the other parts of the body. And yet it causes so much trouble. In James chapter 3, he said, Now, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we also guide the whole animal. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Now, do you you know what he's saying here? He's saying a horse is a big animal. But you can determine the direction of that horse, where it will go, just through a bit in the mouth. That's all it takes. You control the entire animal right here. Same thing with a ship. He says it's like a a ship can be huge. The rudder can be so small. I've been been amazed at that as I see pictures of ships. And then I look at the, the rudder and I'm thinking, how can that rudder possibly steer this boat anywhere? But it does. It's small. But it determines the direction in which it goes. Our words have the same effect in our relationships and many times our very lives. He goes on to say, James goes on to say that it's, our, our tongue is kind of like a fire too. He says, so too, beginning in verse 5 of James 3, so too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how large a forest a small fire ignites. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the whole body sets the course of life on fire and is set on fire by hell. Those are strong, strong words. I don't think we we recognize the power of the tongue as he's describing it here. It can cause so much damage. And a big part of the reason it's a problem is that it reflects what's in here. That's what Jesus said. Remember that the tongue speaks out of what fills the heart. Reveals the ugliness that's within us and the things that come out of our mouths that have the effect of defiling other people. And so James spends a lot of time talking about this idea that we need to control our tongue even though in one sense you can't. We need God's spirit to help us in this area with our speech. None of us is gonna be perfect in the area of our communication or speech. We can only work on it by the grace of God. But our words really do matter. 
Now, in the time that remains, I don't want to focus on the book of James. Sometime I'd like to actually do a study in the book of James. But I want to go to the Old Testament for some practical observations related to the tongue, very practical things that we can think about or do that would help our relationships, especially if we have issues with conflicts with people in our family or extended family. And and what I want to do is go to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Solomon was probably the wisest man who ever lived apart from Christ, or at least he was given divine wisdom. And he wrote about a lot of different things, but one of the subjects that he covers over and over and over and over and over again is the subject of our speech and the effect it has on our relationships. And so I'd like to make seven observations that kind of reinforce this idea that our words matter. And I'm just going to be brief on each of them. First of all, our words should build up and not tear down. It's just a simple approach to the way we have conversations with people, that we have the mindset. I want my speech to, when I'm done talking with you, that you feel built up and not torn down. So Solomon wrote about this in Proverbs 10, 11, and 12. He said, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up conflicts. Of course, it's hatred in here that comes out of here. It stirs up conflicts, but love covers all offenses. Now, what if we had this perspective that our our words are to be life-giving, like a fountain of life where, you know, when you're really thirsty and you go to this cold fountain, it's so refreshing. What if our words had that effect on other people, if, if that was our goal? Solomon further talked about this in Proverbs 10, 19 to 21. He said, the tongue of the righteous is pure silver, a reference to the fact it's, it's of great value. The heart of the wicked is of little value. The lips of the righteous feed many. Can you imagine if that again were our, the perspective of the words that we use, that it's about nourishing other people, feeding other people. I think Paul had this in mind in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 when he talked about how our speech needs to build up and not tear down. He wrote, no foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Think of of evaluating every conversation in terms of the question, did this build this person up? Did, Did what I say here meet the need of the moment? If we begin to evaluate all of our conversations like this, It can really be impactful on people's lives. Just this past week, I was in a conversation with somebody or about maybe 10 days ago, and they said something very complimentary to me. And um, after they said it, it was in the morning, I found that what they said kept popping back in my mind throughout the day, probably seven, eight, 10 times. And every time I thought of it, it encouraged me. And the thought occurred to me how amazingly powerful those few words were to make a difference in my entire day, just those few words. I think that's the perspective we want to have. Our words matter. Second point, avoid slander and gossip because they lead to conflict. This is what Solomon said in Proverbs 26, 20 to 22. He said, without wood, fire goes out. Of course, that makes sense got a fireplace and and there's no wood in there, the fire is eventually going to die out. Without wood, fire goes out. Without a gossip, conflict dies down. Of course, that's our subject today, conflict within the home or extended family. 
Verse 21, as charcoal for embers and wood for fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. A gossip's words are like choice food that goes down to one's innermost being. This is the problem, of course, with gossip. It's so juicy. We hear it, and I don't know, there's something about us that we just love to receive gossip, especially if it's kind of really, really good gossip, which I mean bad gossip. It goes all the way deep within us and it impacts the way we view other people. It puts puts a wedge between us and the person. Someone gossips about someone else or slanders someone else. Does that change your attitude toward that person? Yes, it does. Many, many times it does. Proverbs 17.4, Solomon said, a wicked person listens to malicious... I'm sorry, Proverbs 10.18. Whoever spreads slander is a fool... That's a pretty bold statement. Whoever spreads slander is a fool. Now, I think someone is a fool for spreading slander because it comes back against you. It hurts you. You may not think it, but how many times have people said something to you about either someone else or you heard what someone said about you? You heard it. And how did it impact the way you felt about that other person? Suddenly you found out they said this or that. Over the years, I've had a lot of examples of this where people said some things that just were not very good at all and I, I heard them. It came back to me. It, it tends to. And that's why when we slander, it's a, it's a mistake. It, it means it's foolish because it's, we're destroying ourselves. Or this next verse here. A wicked person listens to malicious talk. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. Let me spend a moment on this one. This one's a surprising verse to me. It's surprising if you stop and reflect on it just a little bit. A wicked person listens to malicious talk. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. That's not what I expect the verse would say. Here's what I expect the verse to say. A person who's malicious is wicked. That's what I expected to say. I expected to say that someone's evil if they lie. But that's not what it says here. It says a wicked person listens to malicious talk. You say, well, how, how could you be wicked by just listening? You're not the one doing the talking. You're not the one doing the slandering. How does that make you wicked? Or the second part of this, a liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. And again, think about it. How, do you, how are you a liar if you just listen? And I think the answer is, is this, that it shows we do not have a high regard for the truth. That when someone slanders someone and you hear it, if you receive it quickly without questioning whether it's true or not, it shows you don't have a high regard for the truth. It means you're a liar. Liars don't care about the truth. So liars will receive everything that someone else says about somebody else. We just, we just take it in. We just accept it. We just believe it because we don't have a high regard for the truth, which makes us a liar. And then again, as Solomon says here, that when we're the ones who listen to malicious talk, it shows there's something wrong in here with us. We're not to receive it. You know, in the New Testament, it says, do not receive an accusation against a, a church leader except with the witness of two or three people. Don't receive it. Don't let it find a home in your heart because it becomes so divisive and it causes problems. This puts a wedge between people. So again, my takeaway is words matter. 
Our words should build up, not tear down. We should avoid slander and gossip because they, they lead to conflict. They put wedges between people. Third, remember that sometimes silence is golden. Sometimes the best course of action is not to say anything at all. In Proverbs 17, 27, and 28, Solomon said, the intelligent person restrains his words. Now, that's what I want to be, by the way. I like to be an intelligent person. It says, he restrains his words. And the one who keeps a cool head is a man of understanding. Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent. He's considered discerning when he seals his lips. Even a fool. A fool is someone that lacks moral or common sense. And it says, even if somebody is a fool, if they keep their mouth closed, you, you won't know. You, you'll think they're wise, you know? It's when you open your mouth, suddenly you, you reveal, reveal what you really are, you know? But if you keep silent, and this one is a hard, hard one to do. But instead of saying things that we later regret, what if we could learn to just say nothing at all? Proverbs ten nineteen. When there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is wise. The more you talk, the more you speak. James, by the way, said not many should become teachers for this exact reason, because we all sin in our words. Every one of us. And so the more you talk, and so if you're in a teaching role or whatever, I know I've said things on the weekends where I got home and I thought, I can't believe I worded it that way. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I used that illustration. But what if we could learn to guard our mouth better? It'd keep us out of trouble. And I don't always do this. I, I, silence, it's hard to be silent sometimes. I can think of some recent examples where I, I should have been silent. I was involved with a situation that I knew could turn into a, de a debate or whatever, and I jumped in. Or more likely, I've had some situations, at least three in the last couple of years, which isn't maybe a lot, but where I wasn't silent online. Somebody posted something, and in all three cases, they used the Bible to support a position that I knew wasn't right, or at least from my perspective, it was inaccurate what they were peddling, what they were putting out there. And so I could leave it go, but I jumped in, because like the Bible's kind of my thing. And I want to like jump in there and say, hey, listen, you think you don't know anything at all. I've been reading the Bible for 50 years. Would you just close your mouth? You know, I just want to just get in there. It, it, did any of you think it has ever helped when I have fired something back? I've never been that bad. I, it's never been quite that bad. But it has been like, you are wrong. <laughs> Exclamation point. Now, this is where marriage comes in handy because my wife catches all these She'll say, you know, that probably wasn't the best, and she's right. I really silence. I'm not saying that you always keep silent. Sometimes you have to speak up. I think the real question is whether or not it's going to do good, whether or not it's going to accomplish any good. But I know sometimes, most of the time, when I think I shouldn't enter in, and I do, I regret it. I make a mistake related to my speech, which relates to the next point. Stop arguments before they start. Most of us can tell when we're getting close to an argument. Proverbs 17, 14, to start a conflict is to release a flood. Stop the dispute before it breaks out. You know, to start it, it's like it's going to break out. 
You all know that's true. Haven't, have you not seen it in your own lives? You saw it coming. You got in there. And instead of stopping it right there, you jumped in and suddenly it became this big blown up thing. It's wiser, Solomon said, it's to, when you see that's what's happening, to pull back. Proverbs 20 and verse 3, it's honorable for a man to resolve a dispute, but any fool can get himself into a quarrel. Someone that gets into lots of quarrels, by the way, probably is the fool that he's talking about here in Proverbs 23. Any fool can get into a quarrel. It takes a different person to be a peacemaker, to be the person that resolves the conflict. Are we not called to promote peace? What if that was our perspective instead about all these debates we get into? And again, I, I fail in these as well sometimes where I could be promoting peace. I know where it's going. I realize the person will not receive what I'm gonna say and it would be better. See, to me, that's the test, of course, whether or not there's any openness on the part of the other person to whatever it is that you're gonna share. If there's no openness there, it's better to keep it to yourself. But it's honorable to stop a dispute. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called sons of God, peacemakers. Proverbs 20 and verse, or 12 and verse 20, deceit is in the heart of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. I'm just saying we're called to be peacemakers. And you have an opportunity to do that. Whatever the issue is in the home or the extended family or whatever, you have the opportunity to be the one that promotes peace, the peacemaker. Or you can be one that stirs it up. Everybody knows that when you get into that situation, it's not going to be very, very pleasant. Fifth point from Solomon's Proverbs, succeed by making knowledge acceptable. This is especially true in dealing with those with whom you disagree to take some time to reflect on how this can be shared in a way that they could receive it. This takes thinking about the other person's perspective, about, about what they need to hear for them to be won over to whatever your position is, if that's the goal. Oftentimes it's just to have peace. In Proverbs 15, 2, we read, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge attractive, but the mouth of fools blurts, the mouth of fools blurts foolishness. You know, it just blurts the first thing that comes to mind. But someone who's wise, they make knowledge acceptable. The free dictionary.com talks about this expression. You can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. And they say what that expression means is one can accomplish more by being nice than by being nasty. And it's, again, I think it's really true. Proverbs 16, 21, anyone with a wise heart is called discerning and pleasant speech increases learning. If we say things in a way that's pleasant, it's gonna be received, much more likely to be received. Proverbs 25, 15, a ruler can be persuaded through patience and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Do you see what he's saying there? He's talking about how powerful our words are again. It's the same thing that James was talking about. And others have talked about this. The power. The power is not in raising your voice. The power is not in getting angry, which is what people think. Well, you won't listen unless I'm shouting at you. A gentle, a gentle tongue can break a bone. And again, you know that's true. How many times have people come up to you 
And they just shared things in such a way that you just could not help but receive it. Even if it's something that you just knew, you saw the love behind it. Six point, listen and think before you say anything. Now I've kind of touched on this one before. Proverbs 18, 13, the one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and disgrace for him. If you give an answer before you listen, of course this was my earlier example with my wife that I I tend to think I know what she's going to say, so I do not listen to the whole thing first, and then I have my rebuttal. I'm just ready to go. And I'm trying to learn, no, just be patient. Let her say completely what she's going to say, and then all from that position, be able to say, okay, I've heard you, but, if, if, if there is a but, sometimes there is, sometimes there's not. The New Living Translation translates Proverbs 18, 13, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. We're just foolish if we're unwilling and unable to listen. And this is why James said the same thing, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. He says exactly the same thing here. Proverbs 15, 28 adds the the idea of, of thinking first. The mind of the righteous person thinks before answering, but the mouth of the wicked blurts out evil things. The mind of a righteous person thinks before you say something. What I'm suggesting here, what he's suggesting here, is between what you want to say and what you actually say, there's a gap called think about it first. If we would just stop before we said anything that could be the wrong thing, if we would stop first and think, is this okay, is this, is this the right thing to say? Now, it's hard to do that. It's hard to, like, put on the brakes because most of us, especially if we're in a disagreement, we just want to get our opinion out there. We don't, they're, going, they're telling their thing and you just want to get in there and you want to counter it and you hear one thing they say wrong and you want to jump in there and it's, nobody's listening to anybody. But we would do much better to begin listening and thinking instead of just blurting out. And the last point I want to make from Solomon here is to speak most loudly through your actions, not your words. Some of the very best communication that we can do is, isn't through words at all. It's through loving other people. It's through serving other people. It's part of the reason we do what we do as a church outside our doors. We just want in this community to have the reputation of being people who love well. And when people know that we love them, then they're going to be more receptive to the message of Christ and the gift of eternal life. In Proverbs 25, 21, we read, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Of course, Jesus talked about the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if your enemy is you know, hungry, give him food. You be the one to step in there and change the, the debate, change the, the, the dynamic through your serving. As we serve other people, it opens the door. Let your good deeds Be seen before other people so they'll glorify your Father who is in heaven. Love is a universal language. Another application of this one is Proverbs 18, 16. A gift opens doors for a man and brings them before the great. A gift opens doors. Now, there are a lot of Proverbs that have this idea in there that when you bring a gift, it's just hard to be mad at someone who's bringing you a gift. When I first moved here uh, to help start the church, I saw a, a big example of this one in terms of giving a gift and changing a heart. We were not wanted on the campus by the student organization wing at WVU. 
We were not wanted. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. Uh, the offenses against us as a group, we were trying to get established. They would not give us rooms, even though we were allowed to have a, a room. They, they would not let us do that. Uh, they, they were even calling each other in the different, uh, one from the dorm and the, the mountain lair. Nobody wanted to let us do this or that. We were just having a, a large, a lot of trouble getting established. And then we received, by the grace of God, a faculty advisor who changed the dynamic, Joseph Gluck. Some of you know the name. He was a fixture on campus, the theater down at the mountain layer is named after Joseph Gluck. He, at the time, was the longest-serving faculty member in university history. I think he still ha would have that title if he'd not passed away. And he became our advisor by the grace of God. And he was able to get us established and get our foot in the door. But three years in a row, the student organization wing sent us a letter saying, you're no longer a student group. And they kicked us out again three times in a row. Every time they said it's because we lost or you're, I'm sorry, they didn't say they lost our paperwork. They said, you didn't turn in your paperwork. It wasn't true. Joseph Gluck signed it. The third time that this happened, he said, if you don't stop harassing this group, heads are going to roll. And it kind of stopped at that point. But then when we wanted to use rooms on campus, it was like pulling teeth. And sometimes they'd give us a room and then we'd show up and we found out they gave it to somebody else. Someone else came along that they thought was more important or whatever and they bumped us and it just, stuff like this happened constantly. They did not want us on campus. In the culture of today, this, is, well, this would be religious discrimination. It was really blatant. It was blatant. But one day, while all of this was going on and probably a few years into it, I came across this proverb, a man's gift makes room for him. And I thought, well, you know, we've been going in there kind of guns blazing, really mad, you know, really fighting for things. But why don't we just love them instead? So we decided it was like Secretary's Day or Office Workers Day or something like that. We went up to the Mountain Lair Reservation Office and we bought some candy and we wrote a little note saying, thank you for, for the work you do and this and that. And we were sincere about it. And this wasn't about bribing. It really was about changing the way we even viewed them. And so we gave him the gift, and, and when we gave it to him, we said, this is for Secretary's Day or whatever it was. The girl, one of the girls there, um, I think she started crying. She was welling with tears. She was getting ready to cry if she didn't cry right there. She said, I knew that that's what today was, but nobody remembered except you guys. Now, this proverb said a person's gift makes room for them. That's exactly what happened. After that incident, we never had trouble getting any room on campus after that happened, when I'd go up to reserve a room, they'd say, someone else has that room, but if you want it, I'll bump them and let you have it. Now, I didn't go there because I didn't appreciate it when they did it to me. But it changed dramatically, and I realized, you know, there's, there's really something to this that, that we can argue and fight with people with whom we have animosity or a problem, or we can love them and serve them. And it, it, in this case, it made a huge difference. Proverbs 11.25, a generous person will be enriched and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. The way you treat other people, it's going to come back to you in a good way. Now, I know I've covered a lot here today. Our words matter. What I want to suggest you to do is just pick one of these areas or two. And by the way, all these are listed on the YouVersion app. If you go there, all these points are on there. Or this morning, someone took all the points and took a picture when I listed them here. But I encourage you to take one or two of these and say, this is the one that I particularly need to work on. 
One, our words should build up, not tear down. You know, maybe you need to evaluate your words in, through that lens. Avoid slander and gossip, realizing they lead to conflict. Remember, silence is golden. Maybe, maybe you need to just be quiet. Stop arguments before they start. Maybe just have a greater sensitivity when you see this is happening. Succeed by making knowledge acceptable. Maybe you need to evaluate the ones with whom you're having the greatest difficulties and ask the question, how would I need to present this to make it more acceptable? Listen and think before you say anything. And then speak most loudly through your actions, not your words. Now again, I think we need God's Spirit to help us with this. And maybe we could just ask God to help us to love well with our words. The last thing I want to mention just in wrapping up this series is that there's this... um, resource we have on our website and you can find it under the ridge.church slash resources and it's it's called right now media and it's free to all of you that are listening to me you can access this for free you have to form an account though through the ridge.church resources there are resources there about marriage about raising children about students, uh, you know, high schoolers, um, emotional things. There's all kinds of things out there, and they're available free. I just want you to be aware of that resource. Let's pray. Father, we do acknowledge that we need your, your grace here because, as James wrote, no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. And we acknowledge that that is indeed the case. We have seen, oh Lord, occasions where our words have brought about harm. But we want, Lord, to change. We want to be ones who are like a fountain of living water, ones who evaluate our conversations in terms of whether they edify and build up and to avoid those things that tear down. So give us the grace to see these things and give us the power we need to apply them to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.